Well, again, good to see you. If you have your Bibles, uh, we are going to be in 1 Samuel 24. It's a little different. I, I don't preach a ton from the Old Testament. We're going to look at a story. So kids, this morning we're going to read 22 verses of this story that is all about kindness. We're in the second week of a three-week series. Uh, that we wanted to kick the fall off and just say this is a different world than most of us have ever lived in. And last week we talked about anxiety, which got a lot of traction. A lot of people just sort of saying, I'm in that place. How do I talk about it? Where do I lean in? Uh, Then this week we're going to talk about hatred. And then the last week we're going to talk about division. What is the gospel? What is the good news? What does Jesus have to speak into those things? So let's have an honest conversation about hatred. If we look at the world around us, uh, it's sort of like hatred wins and kindness loses all around, isn't it? In most of the places that we look, it's happening. What if we did this? What if we said we're going to have a presidential election where everybody had to be kind and honest? Could I get an amen to that? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? I've had a couple, not just a couple, numerous conversations with people over that the last number of weeks. On both sides of the political aisle, which is very true of Crossway. We're Crosby, we're a diverse church. And for different issues, people that care about immigration or education or the unborn or war or the death penalty, if it's a sort of a primary issue for them, they can land on different sides of the aisle because their kingdom perspective is number one. And it may make them choose in a different, at different times a different political perspective. But as we had those conversations, we always ended up in this place as, why does there have to be so much hate and anger? Around that issue, why does there have to be so much hate and anger? There's, there's very little kindness and there's very little conversation. By the way, those of you who just started, whether you're at home or in the room, got in the posture of defensiveness, I'm not doing a political sermon. Uh, but I am doing a kingdom of God sermon. We're going to talk about kindness and what that might mean for us. Because as followers of Jesus, our ultimate allegiance is to King Jesus. And what does it look like for us in our political perspective, business perspective, academic perspective, power, sports, wherever we do life, to say, I follow Jesus first? A few years ago, I sat down with what's now a very good friend of mine. And it was sort of one of the first times we had met, and we got to talking, and he had two sons, I had two daughters. And, and one of the things he said really got me. He talked about his two boys, and he said he and his wife, one of the things that, that they really wanted for their boys, probably the top thing, was that they would grow up to be kind. And it hit me. He's like, man, that is that's amazing. How often do you hear from a parent that the primary thing they want their kid to do is to grow up to be kind? In 2003, a study of 37 cultures around the world, 16,000 subjects, were asked what the most desire, desired trait in a mate was. And for both sexes, number one was kindness. Isn't that interesting? At the end of the day, we want it, but we want to be treated kindly, but we have a harder time being kind ourselves. There was a large-scale study of school bullies that was conducted to learn why they bully other kids. And if you thought about it for a little bit, you'd probably come up with a list of 10 different things, but for most, the conclusion was the bullies enjoyed bullying. At the end of the day, they, they just wanted to hate They wanted to inflict that on somebody else. And it sort of illustrates how cruel and mean and sadistic and raw our human nature can be. And kindness, I think, is such a different invitation that actually has more power in and of itself. So let me pray before we jump into the story, and then we'll we'll break it down what it looks like for us to, to live into kindness. Jesus, 
I pray that this story would speak to every one of us at home, sitting around the kitchen table, sitting in the space, God, that as your followers, God, we would lean into something different, your ways. So Lord, we pray that you'd give us your spirit to be able to do that in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. First Samuel 24, this is about Saul and David. Saul is the king at this time over Israel. David, Saul has found out that David's going to be king, which didn't make sense because it's supposed to go to his son. So now he's mad at David. He's chasing him down. David had gained popularity, and we get to 1 Samuel 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goat. I mean, what a great place to be hanging out at. And by the way, think about just... Saul's pretty serious about that, about this. He's taking 3,000 people to pursue David. And so it goes on. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were in the far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of. And when, when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. So imagine, dark cave. Don't imagine all of it. Saul is relieving himself. David's further back in the very dark of the cage. His buddies are whispering to him like, this is what God said. You can take him out. doesn't have anybody around him. So this is the day. I will give your enemy in your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of, the, of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord for, forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. By the way, think about it. He's living in a political, this is a little political, but he's living in a political system where the guy in charge wants to kill him. And so he's running, but a normal person would say, game over, I'm, I'm cutting his throat. And it says in verse uh, Verse 6, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord anointed, and I lay hands on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men. It did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went in his way. Verse 8, then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked, looked behind him, David bowed down, prostrated himself with his face on the ground. He's laying full out on the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you. This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said I will not lay a hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the, as the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Verse 14, against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing, a dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate my, by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul, Saul, and you can imagine, he's got to be a little afraid. 3,000 guys, they'd come to kill him, cut off a corner of the robe. Now he comes out to be honest. I, I, I did it, but I didn't kill you, and you're the king, so on and so forth. When David finished, finished this, Saul said, Is that your voice, David, my son? 
and he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. And by the way, you're seeing that kindness is more than this just passive thing. There's an active reality to kindness. When a man finds his enemies, does he let him get away in harm? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Such an interesting story. David had every right to kill the guy who's chasing him down to kill him. And yet he does the opposite. And he even steps out and puts his life out there of like, I just could have done it, but I didn't. And if you look at the story and you sort of pull kindness, which the story I think is very much about kindness, kindness is this, it's actively doing good. As followers of Christ, kindness is actively doing good, even for our enemies. And I think this is a word that we all need, especially in this season. In the season of COVID, in the season of a presidential election, in the season of masks and no masks, in the season of vaccine and no vaccine, we need to understand the invitation that Jesus has for us that's very different than what we hear in the world around us. Because kindness is not just being nice. Kindness is not passive. Kindness is followers of Jesus living out a different way in the world around us. It's moving past our own fear, our own brokenness. It's stepping past where sometimes we want to be bullies, right? A study I told you about, about at the beginning where bullies, what, why do they want to be bullies? Because they want to harm people. All of us have some of that in, our, in us. And in different seasons and come, come, come out in very different ways. So why is it so hard? Why is being kind, just go online for 30 minutes. Why is kindness so hard? I think some of it is fear of others. Like what if I actually listen? What if I get to know them? What if I see them as people created in the image of God? Kindness is never weakness. It's powerful. Remember the old cliche, killing them with what? Kindness. There is an active power to kindness. So I want to talk about just a couple of things as we look at that story and understand what does it mean for New Testament Christians to live out this way. I want to talk about two things. Kindness is an attribute of God. And the second thing, as Alex referred to, kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. If we follow Jesus and we really depend on the presence of God in our lives, we don't get a choice on kindness. So first thing is this. Kindness is an attribute of God. Listen, these aren't going to be on the screen, but listen to some of these passages about the kindness of God towards us. Romans 2.4, don't you realize how patient he is being with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see that he has been waiting all this time without punishing you? To give you time to return from your sins. His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Luke 6, this is Jesus talking. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners. Expecting to be repaid is full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. 
Let me reread that verse because that, this is kingdom of God reality. Love your enemies. Remember back in Romans we heard about pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be the children of the Most High. Why? Because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Ephesians 2. This is leading right in verse Ephesians 2, 8-10. through 10. We, We've heard time and time again that we're saved by grace, not by works. Here's the passage leading into it. Verse 4, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, and by the way, mercy and kindness and grace are often sort of interchangeable. They, they sit together. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that we've been saved. By the way, it's the good news, right? That God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. The ultimate act of kindness is that God came down in human form, lived and died for our sins and rose again so that all we have to do is come to Him. Say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I want to follow You. That's the invitation to follow Jesus. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that we in the coming ages might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And finally, I mean, we could go on and on. Um, Titus 3. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And here it is, verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. It's the kindness of God. We're called to imitate We're called to embody the same kindness that has been offered to us. And that brings us to the second thing. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, right before we have the list of the fruit of the Spirit, we have the list of the fruit of the flesh, you would say, when we're not following Jesus Christ. And here's what the list is. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, idolatry, witchcraft. Everybody say, yeah, we agree with that. Those are things that, that are against the Jesus way. And then Paul goes on to say this. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Like The the really big sins, but also in the, the flesh sins are things like dissension, hatred, just as bad. The fruit of the Spirit By the way, in that passage, it's not you get to pick and choose what you want. The fruit word is actually singular. And the the teaching is this. If you're following Jesus, you have the presence of God inside of you. We call it the Holy Spirit. It's one of those beautiful mysteries. And as we depend on the Spirit, we more and more live out the way of Jesus. And if we're truly followers of Christ, true followers of Christ will be kind We will actively seek the good of others. Somebody said this about the fruit of kindness. It is a supernaturally generous orientation of our heart toward other people. Even when they don't deserve it and don't love us in return. If we're truly following, if we're trusting Jesus, we'll be kind even to our enemies question is why are christians not kind 
yesterday as I was working on my sermon, watching a little U.S. Open golf, like an idiot, I jumped on Facebook. And I have friends on both sides of the political aisle, and I, I would read a couple of the comments, be like, man, these are people I know and I love acting so unlike Christ in this space. Why do we do that? Why do Christians feel as though that is a safe thing to do? I think on some levels, because we think kindness is weak. And we have a culture that says weakness doesn't win. And so kindness doesn't win. But the reality is, kindness is the most powerful thing we can do. I think a deeper level is, we tend to follow the kingdom of the world more than we follow the kingdom of Jesus. That we buy into a political system, whether right or left or middle. We buy into a perspective how business should be done more than the kingdom of Jesus. And the ways of Jesus are very different. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Crossview in this space, online, watching it on Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it is, I make a pastoral plea to you during this season. Practice the ways of Jesus, not the ways of the world. Be kind when hatred seems to be winning. At the end of the day, kindness will win. Even though anger and hatred seem to rule in politics, in race discussion, in mass discussion, in vaccine discussion, in homeschool or online school or the list can go on and on, right? As followers of Jesus, we are called to be kingdom people, to actively do good for others, even those we disagree with, even those who might be our enemies. Be the people of God in the way of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us the strength in this season to be like you. God, that your spirit would cause us to love the way you love, to stand up for truth the way you do, and God, to be kind the way that you do. Lord, if there's anybody in the space online that has never chosen to follow you, God, I pray they would do that now. Just in their head, in their heart, talking to you, that they would choose to ask you for forgiveness, to begin following you, and that you would begin to do that good life, that new life in them. And for the rest of us, God, I pray that you would give us day in, day out, the courage to submit to your spirit in us so that we can live out your ways in the world around us. In Jesus' name I pray.